Today on the Game Time Guru podcast, we are diving into a world that we have not yet experienced, the world of rodeo. I'm bringing on a world champion in the sport of roping. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. First things first, before we get started, you guys know me by now. I mean, we're, we're almost four years running with this show. The growth has been substantial. We've reached almost 90 countries at this point, 56,000 downloads and counting. We're just super appreciative. I want to give a shout out to all the listeners, all the supporters who have you know come along and all the guests that have joined the show and shared their stories with us over the past four years. Got to give a massive shout out to my sponsors over at 208 Printing for being the title sponsor of the show. They get me hooked up with my merchandise. If you guys have anything that you need for your brands, anything for, for your companies, for, for anything that you're running and you need shirts, anything done, go to 208 Printing. I'll link them here in the bio so you guys can go check them out. But it's made by 208.com and they'll get you all squared away. Now, guys, today is a first on the show. You guys know it, uh, my, my whole point of this show is to deliver a panoramic view on sports. And some people say, what does that even mean, Shane? That's like you're trying to be all like, you know, profound. But what I mean by that is I'm trying to take sports from all angles and let people understand that athletes and sports figures have stories um, to share with the rest of us. And they're super unique. And I want to cover all sports, not just the mainstream sports that you might see with football, basketball, baseball, those types of things. We want to cover all sports. And today is a first for me. I get to bring on a world champion roper in the rodeo game, if you will, the rodeo industry. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to know what you would even call that. It's not even a game. I don't know what we call it, but uh, his name is Tyson Durfee. And Tyson, thanks so much for joining the show. I, I'm excited to have you on here with us, man. No, thanks. I am super excited. Uh, and yeah, you can call it a game. You can call it a rodeo. You can call it whatever. It's a heck of a good time. I highly recommend anybody out there to go check out their local rodeo because there's thousands of them across America. Man, if you guys are listening here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, you guys obviously know the state Snake River Stampede. That's a big one. Um, it is fun. Like I married a country girl, so my wife's all about the country, and I'm more of the like the city guy. So we kind of have to go to those events, and I've actually gained a huge appreciation for them. So I'm not hating on them by any means. They're actually really fun. So go check out the rodeos if you haven't done so. We've got a lot of them, not just Snake River Stampede. We've got the the smaller ones in Caldwell, in Eagle, in Middleton, Parma, whatever. So go check them out. Now, Tyson, we want to get to know your story a little bit, too. Before you became a world champion, we'll, we'll get to that point, right? But I want to know you, before you became Tyson Durfee, the world champion, which your, your championship came in 2016, I want to get to know the background, what got you in here. Because sometimes I watch rodeo, and, and I watch different events that people compete in, and I almost wonder, like, why on earth would someone, like, do that? It's, it's stressful. Like, it, I mean, it's exciting, yeah. but it's stressful. But when did you become, like infatuated with this type of uh, a lifestyle when did you really know that you kind of wanted to compete in this and actually yeah. not just compete but continue to compete at a high level like as a profession yeah i mean that's a that's a phenomenal question for me you know and this is going to sound like out of the wall for anybody listening um i grew up and my parents got divorced when i was very little i was like two years old when they got divorced and my mother moved into the inner city in, in kansas city and my dad was a cowboy and lived in the country so I was kind of growing up, I was living this, 
you know, inner city life, uh, you know, baggy pants, uh, listening to MC Hammer, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, like skateboarding with my friends and stealing and just being just wild and crazy, you know. And then I would go the weekend to see my dad. And then it was like flip the switch. It's like get rid of the MC Hammer pants, you know, comb your hair. Like it's all like, you know, jeans and belt buckle and cowboy hat. And so growing up, like I had no ambition on even being a cowboy. Like I, I, from the time I was born, I was like, I want to ride bikes. You know, I want to be a professional skateboarder. I want to snowboard. Like that was my thing. It wasn't like uh, I wanted to be a roper. And as I began to get older, I got so bad in school. Like I would just ditch school. Um, I was just so bad. I was in every learning disability class. I'm dyslexic. I'm ADD. Like I'm all over the place. And my dad sat my mom and he's like, hey, you need to send the, the boy out to the ranch with me. And I'm going to teach him structure. I'm going to teach him work ethic. And I went from being like this, this kid in the city that like, literally I listened to uh, my, the big influences in my life were like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, MC Hammer. And then like on the rock side, like Metallica, you know, like that was what I listened to. I didn't listen to like George Strait or any of that stuff. And I went from this like wild child to the country boy, like that. My, I, and, uh, I went from being the city boy to the country boy. I went to live with my dad and boy, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I bet culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a huge culture shock. Like going from a big city, big school to this, this little country school was like a huge shock. But in the whole time, like I wanted to make money. Like in my mind, I was like, I want to hustle. I want to make money. I want to get ahead because we had nothing like growing up as a kid we go for like two weeks without electricity, two weeks without food. Like my mom wouldn't do any like government assistant programs. So we would just go without food. And I would like sneak off to my buddy's houses and get, you know, some dinner and, and stuff like that. So I was always hungry to like, you know, get, get money to, to create a better life for myself. And at the end of it was the rope, like the rodeo circuit. Like that was my dad's like passion. And I thought, wait a second, I can use this to make money. And I worked and I trained and I worked. And I went, I remember the first week like rodeo and I, I was, I profited like 230 bucks for the week. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'd have to work. You know, back then we got like three bucks an hour or something like that. This is, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, so uh, I was like, man, I can make money if I just win. So that's when it clicked for me. That's when I decided that I'm going to be a cowboy. I'm going to be an athlete and I'm going to win was because I could do that and I could receive a reward for my actions much higher than an hourly wage. Oh, I love that. And yeah. you know what? I, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned like money's not a bad thing. And people, I think it yeah. has this like negative, you know, connotation or whatever you want to call it. Like people can say it's evil, but no, like money is there to provide. If you utilize it the right way, you can provide. So you, you utilize like that was kind of a, a motivating factor for you, yeah. but in a good way, you wanted to be yeah. able to provide, right? Cause I remember actually at an event, uh, we had a speaker. It was it was at Funnel Hacking Live for for ClickFunnels, and they and one of the speakers, I think it was last year's, but they said, you know, the government's job is to protect and serve. It's not to protect, serve, and provide. Like that is our job yeah. to provide, right? So, yeah. um, amen. And I think that was awesome that you just kind of mentioned that. Kind of just stuck with me a little bit more there. I, you know, you wanted to to provide for your family. Now I'm curious. You, this is the question I had, Tyson, for somebody like yourself who has a, a ton of experience in rodeo. I'm not as well educated on this sport. That's why yeah. I'm gr grateful that you're here with me, but you profit a certain amount of money, mm -hmm. but each event, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, there is an expense to that event, like yeah. with the travel and, and you got to yep. keep everything. Like you got to keep your animals, 
you know, well-fed, you got to keep your animals housed and all this stuff. So talk to me about, let's say the first time you actually traveled out of your, your city and kind of what the expenses look like. And have you ever had like an event where, you know, you didn't win. And so you didn't profit anything. You might've been in the hole. Like how, how does yeah. that work with yeah. the, the lifestyle? Is it stressful? Yeah. So here's the deal. As a rodeo athlete, it's all on me. Kind of like a NASCAR driver, right? The, the expense of the car is on them. The, the maintenance of the car is on them. The motors, the tires, uh, the team, all the expense boils down to me. Like I have to produce. Now that's multiple ways. It could be winnings. It could be sponsorships. It could be speaking engagements because of leverage that I've used on my fame. It could be m multiple different things. But anybody in the beginning has to put up an entry fee. So number one, it costs money to enter a rodeo. There's a fee to enter that rodeo. There's also fees like fuel, you know, truck maintenance, you know, horses. They're, it just really adds up. And so it's a lot like educating gambling uh, to where the experience that you have allows you to get ahead of the playing field. And you have to use everything to your advantage. I mean, now that I'm a seasoned guy and I have, you know, literally billion dollar companies that sponsor me, I'm able to have a team around me that helped me be successful. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, I was like starving, living in the backseat of my truck with no money. Like I was trying to scrape by. So it is, you know, on the front end, it can be expensive. And if you look like a guy, maybe a young guy out there that's just trying to get started in the sport, he sees somebody like me and I pull in with my tour bus and my team and all that stuff. He's like, oh my gosh, how can I compete with that? But at the end of the day, you just have to take what you have and utilize that to the best of your ability. You don't have to have the tour bus and the team and all that stuff. You could pick out a small region, say, all right, I'm gonna hit all the rodeos in Idaho because I don't have to travel very much. It doesn't cost me as much to go. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna compete locally against those guys. And once I get to the top there, then I'm gonna graduate to a much bigger circuit, maybe the Northwest. And then once we get to the top there, then we're gonna graduate out to the nation. And that's really what I did. It, it's, it, it's an expensive sport to get in and get through. But you just take it one step at a time. You know, it's like climbing Mount Everest. You don't look at the peak and say, I'm going to be there tomorrow. No, you got to freaking get to base camp. Then you got to pass the glacier field. Then you got to get all the way to summit. Like it's, it's a process. You just look at the step ahead of you, not the end goal, because the end goal gets so overwhelming. You're just wanting to start. Man, it's it's yeah. so crazy here. Oh, man, it kind of stresses me out. But it's like any. Yeah any entrepreneur for that matter has to kind of go through that process. And you, yeah. you learn that like through rodeo, it's kind of built that mindset that you have to have the persistence, the consistency, then, mm -hmm. and, and then the practice and the durability for, for that matter. I am curious, like, so you're a roper. Has that always been the sport that you focused on as soon as you got into rodeo? Yeah, actually I want to be a bull rider. I love mm -hmm. bull riding. That's what my dad was a, a, a tie down roper, which is what I do. And he was also a bull rider. In the beginning, when I was younger, I'm like, man, I'm going to ride bulls because that's, you know, that's the cool thing. Eight Seconds just came out as one of the coolest movies, you yeah, know, of all time. I mean, even like eight Seconds is a cool movie, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to be a bull rider. I'm going to be like Lane Frost and Tuffy and all these guys. And as I graduated, like up and I was riding steers and stuff, my dad always, he was like, you don't want to ride bulls. You want to be a roper. You want to be a roper. And at the end of the day, I realized that you know, I had like a whole team, like my dad is a, is a trainer for, for this. So he trains the horses and he trains the guys. My brothers were both training and working out to be what I am now. And so I had like this whole team of ropers and I was like the lone guy that wanted to be a bull rider. And I inevitably just went down the roping path because it was a path of least resistance really for me. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, right now I'm 37. 
Okay. I'm one of the best in the world. I have been at the top for many years now, and I'm very thankful and blessed to my Lord and Savior for, you know, helping me get there. But as a bull rider at 37, I could have hung it up seven or eight years ago. Like those guys, they get to 30, they're old. You know, they've been beat up so bad. So for me, I really picked the right path. And going back to like the failure side of things, you asked me if like, did I ever lose money or did I fail? The best, the best in the world at what I do are right about 50% of the time. So we're slightly better than the best batting average. You know there what I'm saying? Go. So you have to get used to get your butt kicked. You have to learn how to deal with failure. Matter of fact, the first thing that I teach somebody young coming up, maybe they're a, a standout in high school or college. I'm like, listen, man, you got to learn how to lose so you can figure out how to win. And if you learn how to lose the right way, you won't beat yourself up. You won't get mad. You won't waste any energy in your mind on the negative stuff. And you'll be looking towards the future and you'll be successful much quicker. So, yes, I've literally lost thousands of times, but people don't remember your losses. They remember your wins. I dig that, man. I, I mean, it's interesting. I When I speak to athletes and former athletes, for example, Russell Brunson, uh, co-founder of ClickFunnels, had him yeah. on my show to talk about his wrestling career. He mentioned something simpler, or, uh, similar sorry, um, about losing. You've got to lose mm. to appreciate the victories, but also you lose to understand how to win. Um, exactly. People, the people who you, you, you see a lot of people that win their whole life in, in sports or whatever. Um, and then when they do face adversity, not saying they didn't face adversity up to that point, you know, but like when they lose, finally, they, they might have a big loss. It's it's typically hard for them to handle it because they just don't understand it. They, they, they're not used to it. You do have to learn how to lose a little bit and then not only learn how to lose, but learn how to adjust and utilize that as leverage to win, um, whether that's watching film, a technique, yeah. whatever it may be. Now, tell me, Tyson, for, for you guys, okay, so roping, all right? I'm glad you didn't do – like, man, you were talking about the injuries. <laughs> I watched this documentary. I'm sure you've seen yeah. it a million times on Netflix. A couple years back, I was watching it, and I'm like, oh – my gosh. I was like, no way. Yeah. Like I would never, I'm scared of big animals. Anyways. Like I said, I'm a city guy. My wife loves horses. I'm terrified yeah. of horses. They're big. I don't, I don't like them. Um, and they have like, they, I don't know. I, I don't like the way they talk to me when I'm walking by <laughs> like they do this stuff. So like, I don't know. They, they've, they've always freaked me out, but, um, yeah. I guess it, it's interesting. I, I want to know from your perspective, like, okay, you don't have a lot of control over like, the calf running out there, whatever you want to call it. Is it the calf? Is that what we call the calf? Yeah, the calf. Yeah. That's how mm -hmm. it runs out there. What happens if it goes a different direction or at a different speed than what you're used to, or your horse doesn't cooperate the same way you're used to it? Like, and you're in the middle of this event, it takes what, 10 seconds max? I don't even know. Yeah, 10 won't win you anything. Most time it's seven, six, sevens, and eight seconds, you know, from start to finish. It's like a split second. Yeah. Like, do, you, yeah. do you practice? Do you truly try to practice all sorts of scenarios when you're when you're roping yeah. in your practices? Like it's the the calf goes this way, you rope a certain way, you like you adjust to the way you throw it. Mm -hmm. How does the practice? How do your practices typically go um, when you're kind of leading up to an event? Yeah. So for me, I practice every single scenario. The biggest mistake that I see athletes in in every genre. I don't care if you're a football player, a baseball player. Like they practice one thing and they can crank it. Like, I don't care if it's, if it's catching a football and it's coming in and it's the same pass every time and you can catch that sucker and use it to build confidence. But then, you know, when you're man to man coverage and they're tied on you, they're breathing down your neck, you can't catch anything. You know, like I practice every scenario, calf going left, calf going right, calf going straight, calf running really hard, calf being slow. That way, when I get to competition, there's never a surprise for me. There's never a moment where like, oh, crap, I didn't practice for that. And I think I see that through a lot of sports. 
guys are really, really good at certain things and they lean into that and they get good at that, but they don't work on their weaknesses. But in the heat of the battle, everything in anything can happen. Your, your weaknesses can get exploited. So for me, when I'm looking at, you know, the type of calf I got, what my horse is doing, it, the competition, what, how fast I need to be, all that goes into my practice. When I compete at home, mentally, I'm competing for a world championship in the last moment of the, the whole season. So I put myself in that pressure situation when I'm at home. That way, when I get to the rodeo, it's not like, oh, I'm scared or I'm nervous or what if, you know, the what ifs don't sit in. I'm so patterned and I'm so practiced at home in the practice bin or wherever I may be that when I get to the rodeo, I'm prepared. There is nothing that I haven't thought of. I love that, man. Now, as a, as you know, you see like UFC fighters, for example, MMA yeah. fighters, boxers, let's, let's talk about this. When they enter into an octagon or into the ring, you know, there's a process and they talk about the, the pre-match, right? They're sitting in the locker room. Yeah. They're getting taped up. They're getting ready for this event and they're trying to work on their breathing, not get too overwhelmed. They got to get a sweat going. They get to the ring. They're still working on their breathing because their adrenaline's going. They're nervous. They've got a little bit yeah. of, you know, butterflies, but they're preparing themselves hours and hours yeah. before the, the fight, so to speak. I, I've always wondered this, Tyson, when you get to a rodeo event, because we have a, a family friend, sorry, it's a, it's a friend of ours. Her dad mm -hmm. actually ropes as well. And uh, he won some big money in Vegas at one point. But yep. I remember we were like going to the Snake River Stampede and we were excited to go watch him. It lasts, you, you know, seven, eight seconds. <laughs> they missed the rope. So they, they ended yeah. up like not no making time. it. So it's done. Yeah. And then it's just done. I'm like, yeah. Man, there's a lot of practice uh, and he's really good at what he does, but like he had a night that night. I was like, ah, whatever. But I'm curious, like what led up to that? Because like, there's like, do you have a yeah. preparation that goes up to that? And then there was like a little bit of disappointment on that end. Cause it's over fast. So what is your, like, I guess, pregame ritual, so to speak, if you have one, when you're leading up to an event before those gates open and you're going. Yeah. So I have what's called a pregame prep routine. And okay. it's something that I, I have a mentorship program where I coach and train like 400 other athletes, younger athletes. Uh, and I teach them all my pregame prep routine. And it's so funny because I spent a decade, literally a decade of my life, you know, working this thing out, getting it to a T where no negative thought can enter my mind, um, where I'm just like bulletproof, ready to roll. And so much of it has to do with what I've learned from like Tony Robbins over the years. You know, motion is emotion. Like I'm constantly moving. I'm constantly thinking about, you know, certain things like when I'm moving and I'm getting warmer a sweat like a fighter um my body's releasing endorphins i'm pre i'm prepping my mind to go get the things that i want and I, I i visualize everything number one i have the movement second thing is i i do what's called a 10 run challenge so i take that run that you know and you can apply it to football or baseball that that swing or that catch and i play it over my head 10 times in a row and i need to be able to do it 10 times in a row without making a mistake and if i make a mistake I go back to one and start over again, right? So I do this to fight out any negativity, any insecurity. After I get that done, then I do my positive visualization of the exact run that I want right there, okay? Uh, with the calf, maybe, maybe I have a little intel on the calf and he normally goes to the right or I have a little tell that I know he does. It's much like a fighter getting prepared or a boxer getting prepared and they know that tell that that other fighter does yeah. and they know they can catch him with a right hook when he does this or whatever. So I'm running all that through my mind and I'm doing that while I'm in motion. Um, I never stand still. I will not allow myself to stand still. When you get still, you get stale. You start thinking negative, any and all that stuff. Then after that, I go right into my stretching. While I'm stretching, I'm always doing my visualization. 
Um, and then after that, I focus on my horse. Like, what do I, because most people don't realize it. Like I've got to get myself ready, but then I have like my 1200 pound buddy over here that I've got to get ready too. Right. And if he just sits there and chills, they're like a human. Like he needs to be warmed up. He needs to be stretched out. He needs to get his mind on the game. And I do all that as well. So after I get done with all that, there is nothing that's going to penetrate my mind. Nothing. There, there's not a, oh, what if you, this happens? Or remember what he said in the back, he was talking trash. Like none of that penetrates my mind, my mind and I'm locked in and I'm in my zone. And once I get there, there's no way, there's no way I'm coming out of it. But there, it, it, in saying all that, it takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to do all that stuff leading up to my run that could last like seven seconds. Wow, though, that is that is intriguing. See, that is yeah. the stuff I like to hear. You talked about a mentorship program. It, do you train athletes outside of rodeo, or is it, sp- is it specific to the rodeo niche? Yeah, right now it's specific to the rodeo niche. I'm going to be uh, here in the next six months. I'm going to be launching my other program where I talk about mindset, attitude, you know, controlling your thoughts and your behaviors and all that stuff. Um, and I'll have that. I'm, my goal is to have that January 1 ready to go. Yeah. But uh, if not, we're going we're gonna to have it in the next few months. And I'm training, like for those of you that don't know, I'm training for like my Super Bowl right now and it's just a few weeks away. So uh, most of my day right now is eat up with training. I totally understand. So, okay, so where can the, like the rodeo folk out there, if they're interested yeah. in your mentorship program, where do they go to find that? Yeah, it's just nolimitsmentorship.com. Uh, or you guys can just search me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm super active on both those platforms and there's links around that that get you back there. So uh, yeah, just check out my social media and uh, or nolimits.com and it'll take you right there for sure i'll make sure to link those here in the description for yeah. everybody who wants to, to to go find that that that's awesome you just talking about the pregame stuff I, i'm just telling you right now tyson from a from a background in athletics like that yeah. right there and that's not just athletics that's life like you, you sometimes like getting ready for like a big speaking engagement whatever it may be exactly. that's huge what you just mentioned right there is like a huge gold nugget i wish all athletes could take notes right there because that's that's you have a yeah. ritual and that's how you get your mind in the right space cool. to be able to execute and if you're like, if you're an athlete or you're a football player, or you're a boxer, it doesn't matter what you do, UFC, or maybe you play high school basketball or you're a coach. It does not matter. What you have to have is, is you have to have a standardized process or a framework that gets you ready to go every time. And then if something feels off, you tweak that framework. It's just like testing. It's just testing yourself, right? Maybe I'm doing my pregame prep, but I allow my mind to wander because somebody said something or you know, in the rodeo business, a lot of time we're getting ready and the crowd's like walking right through us right. and somebody will want to come and get an autograph or a picture. Like I can't allow that my thought to get taking off into another tangent. So whatever you're in, whatever sport you're in, have a plat- like a, a complete uh, framework put together of how you get ready to go. And if you don't get the outcome that you want, just tweak it. Don't throw it all out and start all over. Just tweak that framework just a little bit. Just, it's just like doing a test. And then tweak it and do it on the next one. And then so on and so forth. You're always tweaking. You're always tweaking. You're always testing. You're always changing. And after, you know, maybe, you know, 20, 30 games or, you know, a few 20, 30 matches. I know you might think that that's a long time, but it's not really in the, in, in the lifespan of an athlete. You have a framework that will work for you, that will serve you the rest of your life. Even if you go on to be a speaker or you have sales presentations or anything like that, it'll work not just in sports, but it'll work in real life too. I love it, man. Absolutely love it. See, uh, this one I'm telling you, Tyson, I try to tell everybody, 
athletes are not dumb jocks. There's a lot no. of things you learn in sports at all levels that can be implemented into your regular life. I'm telling you right now. And you just, you just showed the rest of them that. So let's go to 2016. Yeah. You've been preparing your whole life. I'm sure you've had some wins here and there. You've had some losses, ups and downs, but 2016 is when you were crowned, if you will, a world champion. Talk about the experience uh, winning your world championship and what that was actually like. And I want to know what the first thing you did to celebrate was when you actually got the world championship. So I, I became a world champion. Uh, I believe I was 30, like 32 years old, roughly. And I had been in contention for a world championship at that point, like three. That was my third time. Okay. And I failed the previous two times. At, at getting it done. And by, by being in contention, like in the last round of our competition, anybody knows anything about rodeo, the national finals rodeo is 10 rounds, 10 days consecutive of competition. And on the 10th round, that's where everything's decided, like the last round. And um, I had failed a couple of times previous. And I remember thinking that, you know, the reason I'd failed before was because I safetyed up. I took a safe shot uh, to make money because I wanted security to get me through the next season, right? I, I could risk it all and win and and maybe win first or safety up and win like second or third in the average or the world champion uh, and the world champion standing. And I had chose when I was younger because I didn't have a lot of money to to go to do the safe thing, to do the safe thing. Well, fast forward to 2016, like finances were much better for me. Um, we have multiple businesses that that, you know, I've leveraged my fame off the rodeo industry that create cash flow. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm like, I told my wife, I said, no more safety enough for me ever again. Like, if I get in contention, I'm going to go for it 100%. And I spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in prepar preparation. And it was really ironic, because when I started the first of the 10 days, I was nearly last. 15 guys make the cut for the world, uh, the national finals. I was last. And by the last day of competition, I'd worked my way up like 12 positions in the world standings to have a legitimate chance to win a world championship. Um, and in that last run, I had a really bad calf. Like they, the quickest they had tied him in was like 11. And wow. I needed to be like a quick seven. So I needed to improve his best time by four seconds. And I spent a lot of time in prayer and thinking about it. And I said, I'm going to let it go. And I ended up winning third in the last, I think it was third in the last round. And I won the world championship and I just couldn't believe it. I was so emotional. Uh, I started, I, I cried. I literally started crying because I mean, here I'm 32 years old. I'm past the point like of your prime as an athlete is not 32, you know, for most guys. I didn't know that I would ever get another chance. And I finally win this championship. And that really, for me, was a reflection that I don't care who you are, how old you are. It's never too late to achieve your dreams. It's never too late. If your heart is still beating, there's still air in your lungs, you're still hustling, you're still waking up every day, like you can make that money. If money is your goal, you can write that book, you can have your own podcast, you can have your own show. Like it doesn't matter. You just got to keep going, right? And that's really what I felt when I won that championship. I walked out on stage and I had my, uh, you know, they have a solid gold belt buckle, diamonds in it. And I held it up. I said, this is for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is uh, a reflection of two lifetime goals achieved, mine and my dad's, because it was always my dad's goal for me to get it. And uh, I was just so thankful, so thankful that it, that it happened. And since then, I've been in the contention to win a world championship uh, like three more times, and I haven't done it. 
So uh, you just never know, man. You, right. you always you still have a puncher's chance, and not because I'd safetyed up or anything. It just didn't work out. Last year, I lost the world championship by like two tenths of a second over ten days of competition, and uh, it was so tough. But that's the way it goes, you know. That's it's it's an up and down game, and I mean. I, I just I just would never quit and never give up. I don't care who you are out there. If you're in a if you're chasing something you love, just keep chasing it. As long as you love it, just keep chasing it. I love that, man. That's so cool. You uh you mentioned Tyson that you're you're, you're preparing for your, basically your Super Bowl right now. Um, yeah. Tell us, like, what what are the expectations if if we're paying attention to Tyson Durfee? What 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 should we be expecting from you in the next couple of months as you're preparing? And what should we be able to see? Like, are you looking to to close this one off and get a, get another title under your belt. Like, how does that, like, what do you, what are your expectations for yourself? Is I mean, obviously you probably want to win it, right? Yeah. I mean, my goal is to be a world champion. Uh, it's really difficult this year because, you know, we had Corona hit like after the first third of the season. So like the last two thirds of the season, all of our big events were just shut. They didn't have any of them. Right. So there's this young guy, his name's uh, Shad Mayfield and he won. And, and our sport is basically all money. How much can you win, right? The more you win, the more you get in the standings, the further you are. Well, Shad, he won like 150000 the first two events of the season. And he was like $100,000 ahead of second place, which wouldn't be that big a deal if the rest of the season, all the big money rodeos still happen. But because the season got cut and Corona happened, like we didn't have those other big money events to catch up to Shad. So right now he's like a hundred thousand dollars in front. Now you can win, like if you kill it at the NFR of the year, I won. I won about one hundred and fifty thousand at over the ten days. Um, it's it's going to be very difficult for anybody to catch up to Shad because he's an amazing athlete and he's so far ahead. So my goal is, I want to go and be the best at the finals. Like I want to win the average, which is uh, like I'm the fastest guy over ten days of competition at the NFR. And I want to just accumulate as much money as possible. And if it's in the cards, maybe I got a chance to win a world championship. And if it's not, at least I perform to the best of my ability. You know, that's what I'm after. I love it, man. That's awesome. That's uh, that's super cool. And it's good to hear the perspective and the context behind it, too. I mean, everybody's been kind of affected by this, you know, unprecedented pandemic that we are seeing right now. There's the, the effect yeah. it's had on all the, all the sports industry. And it's interesting to hear how it's affected the rodeo circuit as well. Yeah. Now, Here's one question that everybody pops up with with the rodeo. It's been on my mind. I said, you know what? I'm going to ask him because our friend, I told you, our friend's father um, ropes. Mm -hmm. And he, I mean, while it's not bull riding and yeah. the injuries may not necessarily be the exact same, he did get his finger ripped off. And it's absolutely yeah. disgusting. Um, yeah. He actually had a picture of it on Facebook. Oh, they, come on, man. They showed it to me because it was when he got to the hospital. And I mean, we're getting super graphic. I mean, it ripped. Yeah. I'm talking the tendon like snapped yeah. from his elbow and ripped through. I all, I it almost makes me want to pass out thinking about it. Dude, <laughs> they showed it to me. I couldn't believe they actually showed it to me because I have a wheezy stomach as it is. But I was like, are you kidding me? What? And then he still does it. He loves it. Yeah, you know? yeah. He loves the game. So like once he got it all taken care of, he healed up. You know, he's like, ah, well, I guess the rope got caught on his glove. He couldn't get it out and tightened and uh, yeah. he couldn't, couldn't figure it out. So have you had? Yeah, you it's pretty common. <laughs> Okay, I guess that is. All right, so have you yeah, no, it It's like it's a normal thing. Like it, it happens all the time. You know, the bull riders, they, you know, a lot of bull riders pay with their life. You know, I had a friend right. of mine, uh, a guy that we weren't like best friends, but he was really good friends with my brother. He's a, a professional bull rider and he died last year. Um, and so, I mean, the, the rough stock guys, they could pay with their life. 
you know, that's, but you love what you do and you're willing to take that risk. You know, it's just what you do. And, um, the team ropers, like your buddy, I mean, I'd say at least 50% of them are missing a finger. I mean, are close to it. There's a lot of them that are pissed. I personally, um, I've shattered my left ankle. I've, I've broke my left leg. I've torn my left knee up. I broke both collarbones. I knocked all my teeth out. I took the end of this finger, but, uh, luckily was able to get put back and, and heal up. And, uh, and I'm probably on the better end of the scale. I mean, uh, a lot of guys have a lot worse stuff than me. Luckily, most of my stuff, other than the legs and the knee and broken bones and stuff, were not that bad. You know, I've, I've dislocated my right shoulder. Uh, I've torn my left growing. I've torn both hip flexors. I got plates and screws in my leg. But it's but that's just normal, man. I mean, when you love what you do, it's not that big a thing. It's like a boxer saying, oh, at 60 years old, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get punch drunk and I'm not going to be able to talk right. Well, you don't care about that when you're in the heat of the battle. Right. You just want to win, you know, and you love what you do. So you're willing to take that risk. 100%. Yeah, dude, you just listed off quite a few injuries, though. Like the the, the average athlete, you know, they'll say, I tore my knee up a few times, whatever it may be. But you just listed off quite a few. Do those injuries to your legs, I'm just curious, Tyson, does that typically come when you jump off the horse? Like when yeah, you know, yeah. like getting off? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I, when I broke my leg and my ankle, um, was when I jumped off the horse. So when you jump off the horse, you're going about like anywhere from 25 to 35 miles an hour. And so when you jump off, if you don't land perfect with your foot, it's easy to rotate your ankle and your leg will just snap. And, uh, and when I dislocated my shoulder was similar instance. So it's pretty dangerous. It's like, imagine like sitting in the, like the bed of a truck, and then driving like 25 or 35 miles an hour and then having somebody like slam the brakes, that's the sin that we get off our horse when they're running and they stop. It just shoots you off. And you have to be, you know, you have to be technically correct and land right in order not to get hurt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just part of it. But here's the one thing that I absolutely love about rodeo that no other sport has. You are your own boss. There is no coach telling you that you can't make it you can't play. If you're tough enough, you can play with a broken leg. I know guys that have done it. I know guys that have competed with dislocated arms and elbows. I know guys that have, I mean, just literally knocked all their teeth out and still go compete. Like there is no coach. So as long as you think you can compete, you can play the game. There's nobody telling you that you can't play. Whereas a football player, I mean, I've got multiple friends that played in the NFL that because you know, after four or five seasons, the co- they weren't in tight with the coaches and the coaches were invested in younger talent and maybe they just got pushed out. You know, I love that about rodeo. And that's why I'm such an avid, you know, supporter of rodeo is that I don't care if you played, you know, football in college, rodeo has a spot for you. I don't care if you're a, a, a college wrestler and you want to still compete and you think you're still an athlete, rodeo has got a spot for you. As long as you think you can compete and win, then get in and get started because the only person holding you back is you. I love that, man. It kind of brings me to my last question for you too. That's so awesome, man. You know, the, the Garth Brooks song, you know, it's the bulls and blood, it's the dust and mud, it's the roar of the Sunday crowd. Everyone kind of knows that. Outside of being your own boss, what would you say is like the thing that sticks out? What is your favorite part about the event, like the whole rodeo circuit besides being your own boss? But like you get to the event, like what is your favorite part about competing at, especially at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the competition's great. Um, I love the fans. 
the fans of rodeo, we love America. We love our sport. We love our, uh, most of us, I would say, have a faith, a very deep faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to shove it down your face or anything, but we do pray at our events. And I love the crowd. The crowd that come to rodeos believe in the same things that I believe in. And it's a very unified group of people. Um, and it's cool, man. It's cool competing with, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 people. All their eyes are on you in that moment. And I feed off that. Like I feed off the crowd. I feed off the competition because it's the best in the world to perform at the best of my ability. And it's for me really at 37 years old, I mean, this year is my 13th time to qualify for the national finals rodeo, which is like our super bowl. Um, and I'm already a world champion and I'm a Canadian champion three times. Um, there's really nothing like what more can I win that I haven't already won. I do it because I love to compete and I do it because I love the fans and I do it because I love the platform that my good Lord has given me to be out in front of people. And really, that's what I love about it. And that's why I keep pushing to try to be better even at my age. Yeah, man, I think it's so cool to listen to your story. And, and I love the fact that you're not ashamed of your faith. I love that. And, yeah. and, you know, you speak up for it. Like you said, you don't shove down people's throats, but you, you're you not ashamed of it. And I, I dig that no. 110%. And what I've noticed about rodeo fans on that topic, Tyson, is like I go to these events. Typically speaking, they might have like a, a connection to a certain athlete, right? That they're yeah. rooting for, yeah. but I don't ever hear them rooting against other athletes. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure you might've yeah. in your career. You've had people root against yeah, you. It's like a pretty unified thing. Like you said, like everybody's cheering for everybody. They want everybody to be successful. They might have their ties for the certain people out there. If it's a family connection yeah. or whatnot, but it's, I mean, it's actually really cool. Whereas, you know, I've gotten in fights at that college football yeah. games, man, straight up like Boise state versus Nevada. We've had some, yeah. some ties in with some other fans and, People get a little rowdy and hectic and, and things happen. But typically speaking, in a rodeo, it's not like that for the most part, I would imagine. Um, not what I've yeah, seen. Anyway, right so. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you're right on. It's, it's, it's funny, like, I might be back in the box helping Chad or a guy named, like, Chad Mayfield or Tough Cooper or whoever. I mean, I might be back in the box helping them, and then I'm going to compete against them. And, you know, when they go, I want them to make the best run and be the fastest they can possibly be. I just want to back in the butt box and kick their butt when it's my turn. So I don't ever lower myself by saying, I hope they do bad. I raise myself to the occasion and say, I hope they do great, but I'm going to do that much better. I love it, dude. That's the competitive nature. (laughs) I love it. And you just, you just raise yourself. That's why you're a champion. And that's why you've been so successful in your career. You're 37 Tyson. What's the, uh, you said, you you know, you're out there to compete. You love the, you love the sport. You love the fans. Yeah. Have you made it a decision in your mind? Are you just kind of going with the flow at this point, kind of seeing like how your body reacts, what's good for your, for yourself, for your family, or do you have a target date in mind? Somebody, some people say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have X amount of fights left in my career. or I've got till I'm 40 or I've got till yeah. whenever. Do you have a, a spot in your mind or what's your goal for when you hang them up eventually? I, you know what? I, I know what, the day that it happens, I'll know it'll be a light switch. I don't have a date that says at 38, I'm done. Or after a second, like it's just not going to happen that way because what happens if you do it that way? I've watched and modeled like thousands of other athletes. When you get to the end, you get bitter. Oh, it's right. almost over. These young guys don't respect me the way they should or, or whatever. You get bitter. And so for me, like as long as I'm competitive and as long as I can feel like I can beat the young guys, uh, I'm going to go. 
like I'm going to go. And it's not the competition that I, that's hard for me now. It's the travel. You know, uh, yeah. when I first started, I was 300 days, 300 plus days a year on the road. That's like under two months at home a year. And now that I have a family, like my travel scaled back and now I just go to the real big events. I don't go to like a lot of the smaller ones typically on a normal non-coronavirus year. Um, so I, I, man, I'm not hanging it up. I'm hungry. You know, I'm hungry to go and, and inspire guys. I mean, you know how many late 30, early 40 guys that, you know, think that, you know, it's over for them. Like, dude, you're just getting warm it up. You don't have any idea how much time that you have left. Like life is just starting. It's not ending. You know what I mean? I think yeah. people get it in their head that it's like, oh, I'm 40. Oh, now I have to hurt. Now, now my elbow. No, you don't have to hurt. It's a state of mind. Change your attitude. Get hungry again for something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, I'm not, I'm not going to fall into that. I just seen too many athletes, you know, get to the end. And, and it's like, you know, everybody's asking Tom Brady, when are you, you going to retire? When he's like, I'm, don't ask me that because I'm not going to tell you. Like the moment he thinks he's going to retire, he'll start playing like crap. He's yeah. playing like he's 25. You know what I'm saying? 100%. So I, I'm trying to learn from Tom and do it that way. Possibly. And that's a smart person to be mimicking, yeah. you know, and trying to hacking his, his, his style because he obviously knows what he's doing, takes care of his body, he knows how to compete, and he loves yeah. to compete. He loves what he does. I respect that about you, man, I, and I appreciate you kind of saying that. The athletes I've talked to about that, they mentioned, you know, it was similar to that, like, you know, when they knew, they knew. You know, and they were yeah. like, hey, when I wasn't excited to go out there anymore, I just didn't want to be. And they mentioned bitter. That was another word that you just said. Yeah, they were like, they did. I didn't want to be bitter. They didn't, they're like, yeah, I didn't they want did. to be bitter. So I knew when that was my time, I started feeling a certain way. Yeah, I wanted to have respect and love for the sport still, even when I hung them up. So I love hearing that. So I, with that being said, I look forward to seeing you compete. I'm going to be yeah. an eye, like with what you're doing. And we look forward to seeing you do it for however long you decide to keep going, man, and, yeah, and beating at a high level. So, Tyson, I just want to say thank you for your time. I know you're super busy and just appreciate you joining the game time guru podcast my man hey thanks for doing what you're doing you're out there helping people and i've listened to several of your episodes already in prep for just this conversation and uh you're a stud just keep pushing forward keep doing what you're doing because you're helping people all over the place i appreciate you man and hey for all the listeners out there too go follow him I'll, I'll put all the links here in the description go check out his mentorship program as well he's or the mentor program that he just mentioned we have the links down below Check it out. And hey, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, do so. And please leave me a five-star review on Apple. If you enjoyed it, let us know what you think. And we'll be coming to you next week with another episode. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.